0: You're listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont, welcome. My co-host once again today is Cindy Johnson, Operations Manager for Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses. My two frequent co-hosts, Cindy and Michelle Jewell Shaw, bring so much to this podcast with their personalities and their voices. I'm very grateful for their contributions. Hi, Cindy.
1: Hi, Jeremy. Thank you. I'm happy to be here.
0: Well, thank you, and you're welcome. This is episode 80 of Lighthearted, scheduled for September 14th, 2020. The actor Sam Neill was born on this date in 1947.
1: Born on September 14th, 1914, was the American actor Clayton Moore, best known for playing the fictional Western character the Lone Ranger in movies and TV. He once said, quote, I am a fighter. I believe in that which is right, and I will not give up the fight.
0: Well, I'd say that's about the best we can do to strive to do what's right. I know many people listening are involved with lighthouse preservation groups. The preservation of lighthouses is a worthy cause, and we all need to fight the good fight. Everyone wins if lighthouses are preserved. Agreed. On today's episode, we have two segments. First, we're going down to Hilton Head, South Carolina to discuss the Hilton Head Rear Range Lighthouse, which recently had some restoration completed. And a little later, we're going to have photographer Mike Leonard give some helpful digital photography tips. Let's start in South Carolina. Cindy, please help me out.
1: Sure, Jeremy. Hilton Head Island, part of South Carolina's Lowcountry region, is widely known for its 12 miles of pristine beaches and its golf courses. The island is easily reached by car from the mainland. The Harbor Town Lighthouse and Museum marks the southwest tip. The Coastal Discovery Museum features heritage buildings, trees, and themed gardens. Between the island and mainland, the Pinckney Island National Wildlife Refuge Salt Marsh hosts deer, alligators, and birds.
0: The Hilton Head Rear Range Lighthouse overlooks the award-winning Arthur Hills Golf Course at the Palmetto Dunes Oceanfront Resort. There's another lighthouse at Hilton Head, the so-called Harbortown Lighthouse in the community of Sea Pines at the island's southern tip. The Harbortown Lighthouse was built in 1970. Although it's an icon of Hilton Head with its red and white bands and is open to the public, the Harbortown Lighthouse was never a federal aid to navigation.
1: Congress appropriated funds for range lights on Hilton Head in 1876 to help guide mariners into Port Royal Sound. The towers and dwellings for the range lights at Hilton Head were completed in the summer of 1880, but the first lighting was delayed until August 1881. The front light was exhibited from a short tower atop the keeper's dwelling. The rear range light took the form of a 94-foot tall cast iron skeleton tower built a little more than a mile inland.
0: Hilton Head Rear Range Lighthouse is similar to several skeletal style lighthouses built in Florida and other locations in the 1880s and 90s. It was composed of five iron columns braced and tied together by means of beams and tie bars together forming the outline of a hexagonal pyramid with a central cylinder enclosing a spiral stairway with 112 steps. The lantern was originally constructed of cypress wood. By lining up the range lights one above the other, mariners knew they were in the proper channel into Port Royal Sound. The front range light had to be moved a couple of times as the channel changed.
1: The range light station was decommissioned in 1932. After some use by the U.S. Marines during World War II, the property was sold to the Greenwood Development Corporation. In the mid-1980s, the lighthouse was incorporated into the new Arthur Hills Golf Course at the Palmetto Dunes Resort. In
0: 1985, the lighthouse was restored along with an oil house and cistern, and the grounds were open to the public. Greenwood Communities and Resorts has completed a new renovation, which included repainting and the replacement of doors and windows.
1: The home of the lighthouse, the Palmetto Dunes Oceanfront Resort, is an award-winning 2,000 acre resort destination in the middle of Hilton Head Island. It features vacation home and villa rentals, three world-class golf courses, an 11-mile inland saltwater lagoon system for kayaking and fishing, and more. Nearby is a marina that offers nature cruises and other excursions.
0: Clark Sinclair has been a member of the Palmetto Dunes staff since 1983 and has been teaching golf since 1986. Clark especially enjoys using video analysis as a teaching aid for golf students. At six foot eight inches, he has the distinction of being one of the tallest PGA members. He's also a point person for the Lighthouse. I had the opportunity to speak with Clark Sinclair recently. Let's listen to that conversation now. I am speaking this morning with uh, Clark Sinclair, who is the uh, director of golf for the Palmetto Dunes Oceanfront Resort at Hilton Head, South Carolina. Thanks so much for joining me, Clark. I appreciate it. Uh, my pleasure, good morning. Good morning. Besides being director of golf for the resort, I believe you're one of the, the point people for the lighthouse as well. Is that an accurate statement?
2: Uh, that That is accurate. I've been here since 83, 1983, and I was here three years prior to when we first renovated the lighthouse in 85. Okay. Well, I got to see it and my friends got to see that in the more original state.
0: Well, why don't we, before we get into the, the recent restoration and some other more recent things, i like to talk for a few minutes, a little bit about the history of the lighthouse. Why was it established in the first place? It was uh, built in 1881. And uh, originally, there, were, I believe there were two lights there, and uh, what was the reason for that?
2: Correct. There was a lighthouse originally built earlier in the 1850s, I believe, which fell, and this rear rear lighthouse and a front lighthouse were built in order for uh, ships to enter the Port Royal Sound, which is just north of Hilton Head, and it would help them avoid the sandbars or shoals that would uh, uh, obviously have boats run aground on and it would, uh, you know, sandbars and shoals move around a lot, so actually the uh, forward lighthouse would be moved according to how the uh, sandbars would change. It's pretty cool.
0: And uh, for, I guess it was a little more than 50 years, it was an active light. It was deactivated in 1932. Am I remembering that uh, correctly?
2: That That is correct. Um, yeah. The light was deactivated, and it, it pretty much, in 85, we put a... A light that was more orn- ornamental up there, mm-hmm. but it's not active now. And with that being said, the lighthouse was deactivated, but after that, in 1937, the Marines uh, formed Camp McDougal on the site, and they did a lot of uh, Coast Guard training and Marine Corps training there, and they practiced anti-aircraft targeting out into the ocean. We've seen pictures where planes will be towing targets behind them and they would actually be firing at them. So that was that's pretty cool and we're looking into that
0: further. So for a little over 50 years it was a staff light station with keepers living there with their families uh, and I'm wondering if there are any particular stories uh, related to the history of the, the light station there that, that stand out in your mind?
2: The, the biggest story is probably the story of the Blue Lady which is a ghost story. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Marine Corps Camp is cool. Um, if people get the chance, they can uh, seek out the black and white photos of that site, which are absolutely incredible.
0: Uh, you mentioned the ghost story that is well known. When I was looking for for information, I certainly ran into that a few times. There's probably variations on it, like there usually are with ghost stories. But could you tell the usual story that's told about the ghost?
2: Sure. Uh, there, like I said, there are several several versions, but. Originally, my version was uh, very simple. The the storm came through in the in the 80s and well 1890s, and the lighthouse keeper uh, while keeping the light going uh, in his efforts, he uh, had a heart attack, uh, just probably stress and going up and down the stairs. And his daughter, uh, the daughter of the keeper, uh, with her efforts, also uh, she tried to help her father and and try to keep the light going, and she either passed away then or later on, possibly a brief, and that would lead to uh, the haunting stories later, which I, I will add that, that we used to go out ghost hunting quite a bit in the area uh, because there are other stories around. Yeah. And it was uh, it was uh, very uh, entertaining, and there were times where you could uh, be uh, <laughs> quite worried about your uh, existence.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I kind of know what you mean, because I've taken part in some of that. I call I call myself an open-minded skeptic, you know. And uh, I've actually had some experiences, but I, I won't get uh, into I, I, that. Uh, I am also open-minded. Uh-huh. So it's the ghost is referred to as the Blue Lady, so it's a, a female ghost, and the, believed to be the daughter of the Keeper, right?
2: Correct. She was supposedly seen in wearing a blue dress and moves around... The island every now and then because they actually moved one of the cottages down to sea pines okay so maybe maybe that triggered some more sightings
0: now some versions of the story i i read that it actually gives a, a name of the keeper was it Fripp? am i remembering that right the name well, that's often given I
2: think it was adam Fripp.
0: yeah uh, i know that you know there's payroll records for keepers in the national archives and uh, i read somewhere there was no record of a, a Fripp that was a keeper there
2: but that, that That is true, and that, that's why further investigation uh, is warranted.
0: Do you personally think that people have really seen something interesting there? Any, any comment on that?
2: Honestly, um, I do. It, it wouldn't be for me to say that there wasn't. Uh, the story's been around for a long time, uh, still a part of conversations. Mm-hmm. Uh, keeps people looking and sometimes allegedly spotting. And people are always seeking out books or, or articles that have uh, the story in it.
0: It's one of the the ways to kind of get attention for the lighthouse. So certainly in that in that sense, it's a good thing. But an awful lot of lighthouses have ghost stories attached to them, and you've that's got, true. Yeah, you've got one of the really good ones, They're, I think.
2: Eerie, eerie, windy places at night.
0: Yes, absolutely. Uh, let's move up to the the present day or recent history. What exactly is the relationship between the Palmetto Dunes Oceanfront Resort and the Lighthouse? Does the resort own the Lighthouse?
2: Greenwood Communities and Resorts and the South family out of Greenwood, South Carolina, own, own the golf courses, and with that they own the Lighthouse on the Arthur Hills course. The Lighthouse is actually visible on holes 5 and 15 of the Arthur Hills course. It's always been visited by Lighthouse loyalists. And now more and more people are coming, and we have some uh, uh, Lighthouse Society meetings scheduled a couple times at the end of the year. And the place is just more popular, and it's and it's actually becoming a popular
0: wedding destination for us. Oh, good. They actually have wedding ceremonies near the Lighthouse and probably take uh, pictures there. Correct. Yeah. It's mm-hmm.
2: actually, it, it was a nice site previously, and now it's... Uh, Fastly improved, and and we'll continue to uh, do so and keep it up. Yeah,
0: that's great. What would you say the lighthouse means to to the resort itself and to the the people of Hilton Head?
2: Wow, that's a good one. Um, the the resort population embraced the lighthouse as part of the, on uh, an ambiance and feeling and, and history of Hilton Head. It's all part of where the island is and 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 was. It stands with the uh harbortown lighthouse which was uh you know, built much later and not actually a navigational light and it's certainly not as popular as the harbortown lighthouse but it's growing in popularity all the time and not doing a commercial we've got uh, uh hiltonheadlighthouse.com going and we're going to grow that and it's there's a ton of stuff on there uh, For the community to look at and any visitors to come see it it's it's very very neat i I gotta say especially love the black and whites and now the videos we've done
0: oh good yeah i actually saw one of the videos with beautiful aerial views uh, i guess drone views it was really really nicely done uh so that's great i'm glad you mentioned the uh website so again it would tell me again the the website address
2: it's Mm hiltonheadlighthouse.com Okay.
0: Yeah, we're we happy to get that one. Yeah, that's really good. So it's kind of ironic that the the better known lighthouse on Hilton Head uh, is the Harbortown Lighthouse that you mentioned, which is would be referred to as a faux F A U X lighthouse. It wasn't built by the federal yeah. government okay. for navigation, yeah. but it's kind of a symbol, I I think, for for Hilton Head. But you've got the uh, the real lighthouse at the resort there.
2: That's correct. I, I'm not taking any way from the, anything from the lighthouse. It's iconic, as far as we're concerned, the, the Harbortown Lighthouse. But we just have a lot of uh, pride in, in the Lemington Lighthouse or the Fieldhead Range Light,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and you know, would like more people to uh, see it and get to know it.
1: Yeah,
0: you just referred to it as the Lemington Lighthouse, and, and see, it is referred to yeah. to it that yeah, way that, sometimes.
2: That's, that's a habit. It, it resides within a section of Palmetto Dunes called Lemington. Mm-hmm. It's actually on Lemington Lane.
0: So, okay, yeah, I've I've certainly seen it referred to that way a few times, or not quite a bit. Uh, so, could you say a little bit about the the rescue of the lighthouse? Uh, you mentioned when you started there. I think uh, you were there for the first restoration. I guess it was in in really rough shape before that.
2: It was it was rough. It was it was super rough. It was uh, basically rust on the outside, a lot of a. Uh, and and again that's just rust you nowadays rust keeps things together but we we repainted it back then and did some work inside and at the top but over the next x years what was that i I don't even know the math 10 Uh, 20 30 years yeah it it deteriorated again they redid the outside again completely uh, stem to stern uh, redid the observation decks, redid the roof, which had uh, ospreys that used to be on it till it caved in. Um, redid the inside at the top. Uh, they didn't repaint the stairs or anything because they're all in pretty good shape. But it's all on the inside. It's all kind of beadboard mm-hmm. vertically down, and they did a lot of work on that too. It's just it was spectacular. I mean, the guys, the crew that did the job were up there every day swinging on ropes, basically in sections around the outside of the uh, tube, and they were on top of the lighthouse without, uh, I, I won't even say, it. they were precariously hanging around the uh, top of the lighthouse. Yeah. And it, it, was, it was fantastic, and we've got a lot of that. We have a frame-by-frame shot of them doing that, so it's neat.
0: Yeah. You mentioned the interior. The stairs haven't been painted. Uh, the interior probably needs some work. Is anything planned or any other work planned at this point? Yeah, the,
2: the is looking good. The stairs just aren't uh, shiny. New. They're solid as rock. But uh, I we're going to do more. We've been adding uh, historical markers uh, at the uh, oil shed. There's a cistern out there. We've tagged that. We've got an oak tree that's probably 450 years old, which we didn't even know it was one of or not the oldest tree on the island Mm -hmm. at the time until all this began. So we've been learning a lot and uh, uh, growing with it and migrating. And I think we'll continue to uh, maintain it, upgrade it, and definitely build on the website. The folks that are working on it, we learn stuff all the time, new stuff. And we're talking about variable stories on the ghost. There's variable stories on you know, all over the place, and we're just trying to consolidate all that from uh, places like uh, we've used the Paris Island Museum at the Marine Base and the Coastal Discovery Museum here on Hilton Head, mm-hmm. and we've used the Lighthouse Society to to help us, and it's been a, a nice collaboration.
0: Yeah, well, that's great. Any any uh, chance uh, putting together maybe a, like a booklet or something on the history of the lighthouse? Has that been
2: talked about? Yeah, you know, I've actually got something in my hand that. Uh, they're working on, which is is pretty pretty informative, and I'm going to say it's probably all on the website. Mm-hmm. But a, a book is a good good idea. They are we um, are going to try to participate when the uh, lighthouse passport. Uh, some people get a passport and they try to go visit every lighthouse they can, and when they do, they'll get a a stamp like you're traveling to another country on your passport. You get a stamp. Right. So that's something in the works. Uh, We have the stamps, and we just have to move forward with that, and that could be uh, good for us.
0: I'm sure a lot of people come to to see the lighthouse, obviously, but is there any kind of access? Do people uh, get to go in the lighthouse, or does that ever happen?
2: There is access to the lighthouse for the public and and residents. Not an issue, but the lighthouse is located in a private section of, of the property which is called Lemington, but the because the lighthouse is there people that want to visit it are allowed to come visit it because it's on the historic registry. Basically it's not hard to get to. The best thing to do is to go on to the Hilton Head com site mm-hmm. and there's a specific page designed to help people plan their visit. It says plan your visit on it and it tells you exactly what to do and if you need to make any phone calls or whatever, access to the inside of the lighthouse is currently not available. I don't know if it will be, for whatever reasons, liability. It's really tight mm-hmm. inside, up the staircase. So if you actually wanted to do something, it'd probably be one, one or two people at a time. We haven't really pursued that yet, but you know, who knows what, what's up in the future?
3: Yeah.
2: And again, the cool thing is if you're playing golf there, you do do see it a couple times on the the round. We specifically cleared out behind one, the fifth green of the Hills Course, just to have a better view of the lighthouse, and it's actually the better view of the two. Mm -hmm. The uh, oak tree's blocking the other view.
1: Huh,
0: and you can't can't remove that. (laughs) Uh, No, no, no. (laughs) Uh, Do people come to see the tree? Is that also an attraction? I guess it's pretty well known. Honestly,
2: the the tree had the tree is gorgeous. It's actually had its uh, top knocked off many moons ago. Do people come for the tree? I can't. I can't answer that. I will say it's a focal point of the par 3 three fifteenth hole because <laughs> it sits behind it. But now that we've now that we've tagged it and are uh, are listing it, I'm sure it's going to attract some more attention, which again is part of the you know our growing process and the uh, site's growing process.
0: Right. You mentioned earlier that the, the lighthouse has a, a light in it, but it hasn't been a navigational aid in a long time. Again, the light is just ornamental now, and is that, is that lit every night, or how does, the, how does that work?
2: If it's on, it's ornamental, and it's, I, I haven't seen it on in quite some time. When I, when I came here in 83, you could climb the lighthouse, and you had a vista view of the ocean, the hotels, the entire, from stem to stern, or tip, tip of the island, from end to end, and over time, the pine trees and other trees have just grown up About The canopy's gone up, and so now, even if there was something up there, you wouldn't be able to uh, see it unless you were probably right right next to it or in a airplane or helicopter.
0: I have one more question for you for bonus points. Uh, yeah. What have you enjoyed, or do you enjoy, most about your association with the lighthouse?
2: I'll be honest with you, t- just talking about it gets me kind of... Uh, uh, it was bumpy, but um, it's just a feeling what's been and, and the mystery and the history of, of the lighthouse. It, it's a residential area might have come in and they might have taken it down and put up you know, houses for all, for all you know. But uh, now and again, like like, like we're talking now and what we did with the renovation, you get reacquainted with it. And mm-hmm. Now we're trying to present it, the history of it and the, and the memories of all the people. This time has gone by. We've always strived to use use it as a landmark and, and an aisle of memory, and we try to use it on some of our logos and you know, a lot of our photos, as you, as you can see.
0: Well, congratulations on the work that was completed last year. That's uh, really nice. It looks great in recent, recent photos. So, again, congratulations on that. So, uh, Clark Sinclair, Director of Golf for the Palmetto Dunes Oceanfront Resort on Hilton Head, South Carolina, I, I really appreciate you spending this time with me and uh, letting us know about a a, a really interesting lighthouse that maybe isn't as well known as some but uh, certainly has some some good history so thank you so much clark i appreciate it thank you jeremy we appreciate your uh, interest
1: next we're introducing a new segment on this podcast photo tips with mike leonard
0: I've known Mike for a few years because we've done some lighthouse photography cruises and events together. I know how good he is at explaining photography in a way that's understandable and helpful to everyone.
1: Mike Leonard lives in Yarmouth, Maine. His work is frequently seen in books, magazines, annual reports, brochures, textbooks, in television segments, and nationally on the Weather Channel. His work has also been seen on the National Geographic Wild program. He enjoys shooting nighttime scenes, and during the day, he likes shooting landscapes, seascapes, lighthouses, and more. He's a leader of a Photoshop user group in Portland, Maine.
0: Mike offers workshops on digital photography, which you can read about on his website at phototourismbymike.com. He's also provided photo instruction on lighthouse cruises and other special cruises around New England. Let's listen now to our first installment of Photo Tips with Mike Leonard. I am speaking this afternoon with Mike Leonard in Yarmouth, Maine and and Mike thanks so much for being with me and I'm I'm really looking forward to doing occasional segments on photography with you. It's a new feature on the podcast and I've been really looking forward to it.
3: Well, it's an honor to be on your uh, podcast, Jeremy. I'm uh, thank you for this opportunity. I know sometimes it's difficult to put uh, photography on the radio, if you will. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think there are some things that will definitely translate to your listeners because most people own cameras. And there would be some things we can talk about here that can help people to make their
0: best shots. Sounds good to me. So I'm going to let you talk about what you'd like to talk about for a while here. And if I think of any cogent remarks, <laughs> you know, maybe I'll <laughs> I'll uh, get in there. Go ahead, Mike.
3: Okay. Well, I think uh, we all share one thing in common and that's the subject matter of photographing lighthouses. And of course, I will go to the extra extent to say that I like to see pictures of lighthouses working, which means they need to be lit. And so to take pictures of lighthouses at night or even at the dusk, which I think is an even better time, uh you can make some amazing images of these lighthouses. Uh, but uh, to capture these lighthouses during the day, there are some challenges. And a lot of it has to do with the color of the lighthouse. There, the tower is such a white, high reflective value that sometimes when you t- take a picture of the lighthouse, you lose the detail on the tower. It's, it just washes out. And if you try and expose for the tower... Well, then all the land and the sky and the water naturally is all too dark. So what I'd like to talk about is just a couple of ways to mitigate that. First of all, if you have a camera that can capture in RAW mode, okay, it's not an acronym. It's just RAW, R-A-W. What that means is you're able to collect all the tonality of the scene in a file that you can then go edit and convert to a JPEG file or a TIFF file. And when you capture as a raw file, the way I like to describe a raw file versus just a straight JPEG file, is think of a JPEG file as being like, let me ask you this question, Jeremy, do you cook, do you ever follow recipes? I
0: have in my life. Okay,
3: (laughs) all right. Well, let's say if you're going to cook something for dinner tonight, so you go to the store and you buy these ingredients, for what you're going to be cooking. And so you get home with maybe a bag of groceries or maybe two bags and you start cooking and then you suddenly realize, ooh, I forgot an ingredient. Are you with me so far? Has this ever happened to you? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, well, I, I bet this has happened to a lot of you listeners. So what do you do? You go back to the store to buy that ingredient. But what if the store is closed? You have to make do with what you've got. That's like a JPEG file. You have to get it right the first time, and that's not always easy to do, particularly when you're shooting a subject like a lighthouse because it's very high contrast. Now, if you could capture in raw mode, that's the equivalent of going to that same grocery store but bringing home the entire contents of the grocery store so you could go shopping again. It's like bringing home the canned goods, the meat department, the produce, the the, the salad bar, the everything the frozen foods pick an aisle it's like bringing it all home that's what a raw file is and with a raw file you capture that lighthouse you capture that scene it doesn't have to just be a lighthouse naturally and you can open that up in an editing program where you can go in and just affect the contrast or the tonality of just certain shades in the scene so that really bright white tower on the lighthouse you can darken it and, in most cases, restore the detail that may have been washed out. And the, uh, the water or the sky or the building, if it's a little dark, you can lighten that. And once you've adjusted that to get it to your best image, you then save that as either a TIFF file, which would be an uncompressed file, or you can save it as a JPEG file that you would send out to make a print. And that's, how, that's one way to capture all the tonality of a scene. Now, if your camera doesn't shoot in raw mode, and there's a lot of these digicams that don't do that, some cameras have a setting called HDR, which stands for high dynamic range. Now, if you have that option, and a lot of cell phones will have that option as well, you can just go and turn that option on And what that does is it looks at the brightest thing in the scene and darkens it a little and takes the darkest part of the picture and lightens it a little. It basically compresses the brights and the darks. And that can help quite a bit. Now, if you've got a camera that doesn't have the ability to capture in RAW and doesn't have the HDR, Then the next best step is to go with AEB, which stands for Automatic Exposure Bracketing. Now with that, you can tell a camera to take three pictures or some DSLRs can do five or even seven. And I understand there's even some Sony cameras that can go all the way up to about 13 uh, images. And you can take the image at different brightnesses, at different exposures. And if you can capture all the tonality over at least three exposures, you can bring that into an image editing program like Adobe Photoshop or Lightroom and use the HDR module, the high dynamic range module, to take those three images and put them together so now you've got the ability to darken just those bright whites and maybe lighten the dark areas. And there are other things that you can do to to adjust the shot to make it your best shot. So there's three things to think about the next time you go out to take photos of pretty much anything, but especially lighthouses. Now one trick about that AEB, you want to take those pictures as fast as you can. And most cameras have a high speed shooting mode where you can shoot seven images in one second for instance. Or if you've got just only three that your camera can take, if you put it in the high speed mode, it'll go click, click, click really fast. You want to do that because if you're on a boat or if you're in motion or if you're moving, basically your camera's not on a tripod, you don't want the camera to move much when you take those three, five, or seven or more images so that you can put them all together and you don't want any motion blur. It won't come together quite as well if if there's significant motion. So that's just one little catch with the AEB or automatic exposure bracketing. But those are, again, three things just to go out and experiment with before you go out to take pictures of your next lighthouse. And you don't have to be on the photo cruise to experiment with this. Go try it now. Go out in your backyard. You know, try shooting a sunrise or a sunset. That's another great time to be capturing and using the high dynamic range setting because there's nothing brighter than the sun, And you can get some terrific results by capturing a sunrise or a sunset in that mode. So that's something just to give a try, uh, to to experiment with. And when you get the hang of it, then you'll be all ready to go the next time you go out and see a lighthouse. There's one other camera setting that I'd like to talk about that some people I think a little tripped up on. And I see some people's eyes get a little glazed over when I mention this because they think this is really getting technical. You ready for this? (laughs) It's white balance. Now, some people say, okay, that's it. I've had enough. Uh, We can stop the podcast right now. (laughs) But no, really. White balance is embarrassingly simple. Bottom line is, We can talk about light in many different ways. We can talk about the brightness of light. We can talk about the direction of light. We can talk about the size or the softness of light. Just take a flashlight. There's some of them you can focus the light to make it a narrow beam or you can make it really wide. Well, the one factor I want you to consider is the color of light. Now, to say that light doesn't have color is a bit of a misnomer. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is drive down any highway at night and look at oncoming headlights, and you'll notice that some look blue and some look orange. The one thing they both have in common, would you believe they're both basically the same brightness?
0: Right. It's the same with lighthouses, actually. The newer lighthouse lighthouse optics uh, are LED optics and have Mm -hmm. a much bluer tint than the older, uh, warmer types of lights.
3: That's right. In fact, the LEDs more emulate daylight versus the incandescent bulb or the quartz bulbs were more uh, in a tungsten mode. So white balance plays a big factor in in a camera, and you don't want to shoot in auto mode or that green setting that some cameras have. Take a moment and just turn that setting to P for program, for instance. Then go into the menu, and look for white balance. Or there may even be a button on the back of your camera that says WB, and that stands for white balance. Now, when you choose that, you're given some presets. Now, first of all, there's auto, and I say they misspell that. I think that it should be spelled A-W-F-U-L because it's perhaps the worst setting you'd ever want to have white balance in. It's gonna cost you a lot of time afterward to try and color correct and I'll tell you why in a moment. The other settings you will see is one that might say daylight. And by the way, there are little icons that go with these. For the daylight one, there's a little icon of a sun. Then there's cloudy, and there's a cloud that goes with that. Then there's some cameras will have shade, and it shows a little building with the sun hitting the side, casting a shadow. Then there's fluorescent, which are those long cylindrical lights that you see oftentimes in classrooms, hospitals, institutions, workplaces. Uh, Also, those squiggly ones, if you've ever seen those compact fluorescent bulbs. And then there's another one that would be incandescent or tungsten. Now, just simply setting your camera to one of those modes, other than the awful mode, let's call it what it is, you can instantly start making pictures where the colors are going to look much better and it's that easy to do and as I tell some people in my classes uh, if English isn't your native language you know you can change that in the camera most cameras have Italian Spanish French um, German um, uh, there's a bunch of different languages but I think for the most part you know if you say the word sunny or if you say the word cloudy Most people pretty much know what you're talking about there, and you don't have to worry about it. And like I say, if that really confuses you, then just go with the pictures. That's why I say white balance is embarrassingly simple, yet it's one of the most important settings you really need to be setting in your camera, especially if you're only capturing in JPEG mode. Because remember earlier when I was talking about the importance of capturing in RAW mode? you can go and change the white balance after the fact if you accidentally shot in auto, let's say, if you captured in RAW mode, because you can go and change the white balance. The other thing you can do with the RAW file, by the way, if you have ever taken a picture that was too bright or too dark, well, you can lighten or darken it by five whole F-stops. See, that's another reason why you want to be capturing in RAW mode. If you're in the market for a new camera, and you're thinking about making a purchase, make sure it captures in RAW mode. Now, if you're not processing your RAW files today, that's okay, because someday you will be. But until then, you want to get everything you can. I'm like a vacuum when I go out to photograph. I want to get it all. I'm the one who likes the, box of, the bigger box of crayons, even though I don't use all of them, but I like the ability to have them all. Because just like that recipe, if I don't have an ingredient, well, I got a punt and it's not going to be the best it can be. So consider capturing in raw and take the time to set the white balance. You can get so fast at it, I'll bet that you'll be able to change the white balance within maybe 10 seconds or less. And in most situations, you only have to do it once until you go under different light. Now, when you mentioned the fact that some of these lighthouses are going to LED lights, if you take a picture of a lighthouse at night, yes, the beacon's going to look very blue because remember the headlight scenario where some headlights look bluer than others? That's because the light intensity might be the same, but it's a different color light. So to capture that light properly, you'd go to daylight mode for the white balance. Or you could go to cloudy if you want it to look just a little warmer and maybe look a little nicer. Now, if you shoot in tungsten mode, the sky is going to look very blue, and so will the light. Sometimes that can be aesthetically pleasing to have that blue cast. But the beauty of digital, you get to try it both ways, and you can instantly see what it looks like in the viewfinder after you've taken that shot. So those are just uh, some of the easiest tips. And by the way, these are all free things to do. You know, you can even set white balance in your phone. A lot of uh, Android users, all you have to do is go to the Pro mode, and you'll see that you can set white balance and a whole bunch of other settings, just like what you can do in a DSLR. If you're an Apple phone user, well, you have to go one extra step and download an app because Apple took that ability away. And the app that I highly recommend is one that's free and it's called Adobe Lightroom. You can go to the uh, Apple site wherever you download your apps and look for Adobe Lightroom, install that. And when you go to pro mode, it restores all those functions where you can actually capture in raw mode on your phone. And you can set the white balance You can lighten and darken the scene. And in most of these cases, it even gives you an HDR mode. So that's a good app to think about. Android users, you're all set. You got it already. Apple, go get the free app. And you can instantly start making pictures that will look better.
0: I actually have Lightroom on my iPhone, but I have to admit I haven't really used it much yet. But you've got me anxious to go out and... And take some pictures uh, using the uh, you know the ability to set white balance using Lightroom
3: and that's especially important if you only capture as a JPEG because remember in my scenario of shopping if you only capture in JPEG you have to get all the parameters right up front you don't have a lot of ability after you've taken the picture to make adjustments like you do with a raw file. And by the way, a raw file in a phone looks like uh, the, the um, file is called a DNG file or digital negative is what that stands for. So if you ever see the ability to capture as JPEG or as DNG, choose the DNG. And in some phones, you can actually capture both. So this way, if you're unfamiliar with processing a raw file, you still get the JPEG file that you can send out and make the 10-cent prints at the local drugstore. Or you can take that DNG file, or in the case of a DSLR camera, take that RAW file and open that in a conversion program so that you can go and do more with that. There are some companies that will purchase stock photography for calendars and books and that, and they'll have you, the, the request is, is for you to send a JPEG file. If your image is selected, they'll say, okay, we'll pay you the $150 or whatever the amount is that they're paying these days, but you have to send us the RAW file. Well, you know, it's worth capturing in RAW and JPEG, or at least in RAW, the first time. Do that right up front. That way, you know you've got that file because to try and go back out and get that picture again as a raw file could be a real challenge, especially if your picture is something that might include a spectacular cloud formation or a sunset or a sunrise, or maybe there's like an eagle that flew through. I tell you, I'm not that good at cueing wildlife to repeat to fly over a second time or a moose to walk out that second time. So that's why I capture in RAW. So this way, I'm getting it all up front. I'm capturing the whole grocery store right there. And then later, I can choose whether or not I need to keep it or not. That's just what I do. Like I say, when I'm out in the field taking the pictures on like one of these photography cruises, uh, you just know I'm capturing it in RAW because... I don't get to go out every day uh, like some uh, probably fishermen might get to go out every day and they might see these lighthouses every day. But for me, it's a special experience to go out and see some of these, especially the offshore lights. And so, yeah, I want to make the very, the very best shot that I can. And that's uh, that's very important to me. And why not do that for you? Because you've got a great camera, even if you get a cell phone, Uh, make the most of it and make your best shot. You might as well, because, you know, the bottom line, Jeremy, in the end, when you send those image files out to have them printed, they're going to charge you the same price, whether the image looks good or if it looks bad. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so th- if that's not an incentive to make it look as good as it can, I don't know what is.
0: Uh, you know, I always love listening to you, and I've actually heard you talk about these same things a couple of times, but some people like me need it drummed into them, so that's okay. But <laughs> I I knew from experience from having seen a couple of your workshops that uh, you do a great job of making everything understandable and, and as simplified as possible so that even people like me can understand And you did that again today, and uh, I very much appreciate it. We should probably wrap things up for right now, but I'm looking forward to having you back again to discuss other aspects of photography, maybe at some point getting a bit more into night photography, which I know you've done a lot of as well.
3: Yes, I certainly am a night owl, and I'd be happy to talk about uh, some of the tricks that I use for uh, photographing at night. Uh, lighthouses at night in particular i'm sure would be of uh, big interest for your audience and uh, and if i can just throw out a quick plug uh, if people want to uh, reach out to me directly i am on facebook and i do have a website and that website is www.phototourismbymike.com and at that site you can get a list of the events in which i'm participating and i'm hoping to be filling that up hmm. with cruises uh for next year right. for the uh, 2021 season that i hope will will uh, come back to life because i know that this year was uh really a disappointment and uh, having so many cancellations and i'm looking forward to next year
0: me too and uh you and i have done a number of cruises together out of bar harbor with uh, bar mm-hmm. harbor whale watch Or Bahaba, as some people (laughs) pronounce it. But uh, it's always fun doing those. And, uh, you know, I know, like you, I really missed them this year. There are usually three of them that we do together. And hopefully those will be happening next year. So that's something people want to watch for, as well as all the other cruises and events you do. As you said, they can find that on your website.
3: And those are, by the way, photography cruises, not harbor cruises. And just a quick delineation, the difference that I say in the photography cruise, we stop at the lighthouse, we position the boat to get the very best look angle, then we rotate the boat 360 degrees so everybody on board gets an opportunity, an equal opportunity, to photograph the lighthouse before we move on to the next one. A harbor cruise, on the other hand, a lot of these uh, operations don't even stop the boat, and it just goes steaming right by, and you're got to be really quick. And on the trigger to be able to capture that lighthouse as you go by, because you only get one chance. If ever there's a case to shoot in raw mode, <laughs> I'd say that's it. But, uh, but, you know, no, these are all photography cruises. And if you haven't been aboard one, even if you're not a photographer, you know, why not come on board and see the lighthouses in the best light and the best look angle? Um, I bet you'll want to take some pictures. I just I just see that in your future. If you uh, even if you don't call yourself a photographer, I bet you're going to want to bring home some uh, some images of the experience.
0: I certainly agree with that. So, Mike uh, Leonard again, thanks so much for spending some time with me today. This is absolutely great. I'm sure that our listeners will appreciate it. And uh, we'll have you back again in the not not too distant future. I'd like to see this be a, a regular feature on this podcast.
3: I'd welcome that, Jeremy, and thank you again for this opportunity.
1: Again, go online to phototourismbymike.com to learn more about Mike Leonard's workshops and events.
0: Our thanks to Mike Leonard and to Clark Sinclair for today's interviews. A reminder, go to HiltonHeadLighthouse.com to learn more about the Hilton Head Rear Range Lighthouse in South Carolina.
1: Thanks, as always, to all the staff, volunteers, and members of the U.S. Lighthouse Society and its chapters and affiliates. To learn more about the tours, preservation grants, the passport program, and everything else the society offers, go to USLHS.org. You can also check out the USLHS on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.
0: Our thanks and respect go out to everyone everywhere who is working to save history. Your work matters, and we are all on the same team. As always, thanks for listening
1: and keep a good light.